The Japanese have this phrase, karoshi, which literally means death by overwork. The first case of karoshi appeared in 1969, but it began becoming widely reported in the 1980s during the kind of economic bubble in Japan's economy. And it came roaring back into the headlines a couple of years ago after a young journalist named Miwa Sato, uh, kind of a, a rising star for the state news agency, She was driven and focused,、uh, hungry, humble, smart, always there, always prepared. And on her 31st birthday, Sato called her parents, who were concerned because they thought she sounded a little bit weak. She assured them, you know, I'm, I'm fine, I'm just tired, I just need a little bit of a break. Two weeks later, she died of heart failure. In the aftermath of her sudden death, her news agency revealed that she had clocked 159 hours of overtime on average per month. She was working until midnight every night, never taking weekends off. The medical field calls this occupational sudden mortality, and the most common causes of it are heart attack or strokes or stress due to a starvation diet. Not to mention the untold mental anguish, that workplace exhaustion, and always feeling like there is more to do and one more thing to check off the list can cause. Now, to kind of put this in perspective, data collected by the Multinational Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development found in 2019, among all employees in the world, and that includes part time and seasonal workers, That the Japanese worked an average of 1,644 hours per year. Do you want to guess whether it is higher or lower in the United States? We are at 1,779. On average, we work more than Japan, more than our friendly neighbors to the north, more than Germany, more than Scandinavian countries, more than UK, more than France. Maybe not a surprise with France.、Uh, the Japanese call it karoshi. We just call it hustle. In fact, I think that I would go so far as to say that overwork is part of our cultural DNA. And whether that is because of the 24 7 gig economy or whether that is because of the home revolution, the, the work from home revolution catalyzed by COVID, or whether it's because we can now fit our work computers into our pockets, it is hard to imagine a life in which we are not in some way tethered to our work. How often in casual conversation do you hear in response to the question, How are you doing? someone say, I'm Insert some comment about the pandemic here, but I'm busy. We define ourselves by our busyness. I mean, what would you think of, of somebody who said, when you ask that question, how are you doing? Bro, I'm so good. I clocked solid 10 hours of sleep last night. I am rested. I have nothing to do. You wouldn't know what to say. And the pandemic has only accelerated things.、Uh, according to a recent Gallup survey, those working from home, and that's the, the bar on the right, report higher levels of work related burnout than those who work on site, with 52% of people saying that they have absolutely no plan how to remedy their fatigue. 
Add to that, we rank near the bottom of developed nations from taking time off work, and when we do, a shockingly low percentage of us take more than two weeks per year, and two-thirds of us actually check in at some point with our office while we are on vacation. We live at this kind of frantic, breakneck pace where we are constantly encouraged to speed up, to do more, to cram more in, to get ahead. And like I mentioned on Ash Wednesday, that's not just in relation to our work. It's, it's our fun, the things that we do to relax as well. There is so much to do, not enough time to do it. Welcome to worship. I just wanted to give you a little pep talk as we get started here. And, and if we find that all that stuff is kind of taking a, a negative toll on our psyche, well, it's because the God whose image we bear crafted a rhythm of work and rest into the very fabric of the universe. What if our busyness is not just a sign of a disordered schedule, but is instead a symptom of a disordered heart? What if we were made to rest? And what if there was a practice from the way of Jesus that allowed us to align our created bodies with the rhythm and fabric of creation itself so that we could find rest for our souls? Enter the Sabbath. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. After the creation poem in which God speaks the universe into being, We read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, Almighty God, we ask that these would not just be words on a page, but would be, in fact, by the power of your Holy Spirit, your word to us. That hearing, we may follow you and find joy and rest for our souls. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. God rested. Yeah, but you don't know how busy I am. You don't know what kind of work that I do, how much it takes for me to get ahead. God rested. Right, but I'm an extrovert, and that just really does not kind of fit in with like how I want to do my life. God rested. Okay, but... That's the Old Testament, and, you know, I rest now in the completed work of Christ on the cross. God rested. Sure, but I've got, like, two kids and a really energetic multi-poo. You know what I'm going to say, right? God rested after six days of world-making, of Shaping Everest and the Barrier Reef and the Pleiades, the work of creation is finished. And if you thought that you had a productive week, just bear that in mind. And then we read at the end of all that that God rested. 
The God who created all things, the God who neither slumbers nor sleeps, rested. And not because he got to the Horn of Africa and he thought, man, this is harder than I thought, I need to take a break. No, God stepped back and rested to delight in the work that he had made. The word rested in Genesis 2 is Shabbat in Hebrew. It's where we get the word Sabbath from. And in essence, the word is to rest or to cease or to be complete. But it can also be translated to celebrate, to delight in the work. Sabbath has this dual idea of stopping and also of enjoying our lives and our our time in God, in creation. It's a day to follow God's example, to stop, to rest, and to delight. One summer when we lived in Richmond, I took on this project of extending our back deck so that it would wrap around from our kitchen to uh, the door near my office. And, uh, you know, after about a week of doing the math and, uh, you know, sawing the boards, uh, digging the holes, pouring the concrete for the foundations, uh, leveling the frame, all that, I mean, the days were hot and I was hard at it. It was hard work, but it was good work. But at the end of the week, to be able to just sit on this new part of the deck, crack open a beer, watch the fireflies, look out on my backyard and simply delight in the work. That is the kind of rest we're talking about. A day in which we image God simply by delighting in the world. Dan Allender describes it like this. The Sabbath is an invitation to enter delight. The Sabbath, when experienced as God intended, is the best day of our lives. Without question or thought, it is the best day of the week. It is the day we anticipate on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and the day that we remember on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Sabbath is the holy time where we feast and play and dance and have sex and sing and pray and laugh, tell stories, read, paint, walk, and watch creation in all of its fullness. Few people are willing to enter the Sabbath and sanctify it to make it holy. Because a day of delight and joy is more than most people can bear in a lifetime, let alone a week. And all of this is because rest is rooted in the nature and the character of a God who stopped and delighted in the world and who created us to mimic and to mirror his presence in the world. So over the next few Sundays during Lent, we are going to go over a biblical theology of the the practice of Sabbath. And kind of like a diamond rotating in the sun, we're going to cover different aspects of it in the different weeks Today we're going to look at how Sabbath is a rhythm that is crafted into the grain of the universe and how this tempo of work and rest is such a vital part of our humanity. In fact, to go against it is to lose part of our humanity. And so I want to look at just three aspects of what this rhythm of Sabbath looks like. And then we're going to finish with a video that explains this week's practice in our Sabbath guide. And the first is Sabbath is a cadence. Uh, In some research that I was doing a couple years ago, I came across this fascinating article about how 
Sabbath practices were shaped and tested um, during the overland migration to California in the 1840s. Don't judge me. I, I read this stuff so you don't have to. But the common narrative is that those who came out to California were, you know, godless, irreligious, opportunist, fortune seekers, and that basically explains why California is the way that it is. But one diarist wrote that he who starts across the continent is most sure to leave his religion on the east side of the Missouri River. Another one noted that when one crossed the Mississippi, it was said one traveled beyond the Sabbath. But the interesting thing is that those who kept the Sabbath, uh, amid all kinds of pressure from their compatriots, from their, their companions on these wagon trains, to treat it just like one day, all, like all the others, they often not only caught up to, but often overtook those who had driven their oxen seven days a week. Those who took a day of rest, it turns out, actually got that day back. And those who did not rest, if they arrived at all, they arrived discouraged, disillusioned, in poor health and unable to actually gain any sort of traction out on the frontier. We are not made to go and go and go. Wayne Muller uh, begins his book on the Sabbath with this, um, I love this quote, all life requires a rhythm of rest. There's a rhythm in our waking activity and the body's need for sleep. There's a rhythm in our waking activity, uh, a rhythm in the way that the day dissolves into night and into morning. There's a rhythm as the active growth of spring and summer is quieted by the necessary and dormancy of fall and winter. There's a tidal rhythm, a deep eternal conversation between the land and the sea. In our bodies, the heart perceptibly rests after each life-giving beat. The lungs rest between the exhale and the inhale. Going without Sabbath is like going through life without ever inhaling. We are not made to simply go. And after six days of shaping and creating life, God rested. He set apart this rhythm as important to us as eating and as breathing. We are not machines. The best that we can do is work for six days and rest for one, just like the one whose image we bear. And this is not just a reality for theologians. Uh, in 2014, a study done by researchers at Stanford University found that not only does happiness measurably decrease after working more than 48 hours per week, but also productivity has a plateau. Uh, according to their findings, after 55 hours, it is basically pointless to continue working. And in fact, between 55 and 70 hours, there is virtually no difference in productivity for the week. Next week, we're going to talk about how we're not made to be productivity machines and that Sabbath is actually part of what we can do as an act of cultural resistance. But the point here is that there is a natural cadence that is built into the rhythm of creation and it's perilous to kind of move against this. And when we fight against this rhythm, when we, 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 we go against this rhythm that God has established, we are going against 
our created nature. It's, it's kind of like fighting against the law of gravity. And when we keep it, when we move with the grain of creation, we are more in line with who we are and with our creator. Next thing, Sabbath is both blessed and holy. 20th century Jewish theologian Abraham Heschel points out that at the end of six days of creation, of all the things that God delighted in, God chooses to bless two of those things, animals and humans. And the blessing is essentially the same. Be fruitful and multiply, which is this gift and the ability to bring about life to Fill the earth with with life. It's a creative gift. And then at the start of Genesis 2, God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So if you're tracking, that is now three things that God blessed. Living creatures, humans, and a day. Now, some rabbinical scholars, they look at this odd language in Genesis 2, which gets smoothed over in translation, the, the NIV puts it like this, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. But the ESV actually gets a little bit closer to the Hebrew tense. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. If you actually you know, dive into the Hebrew, it makes it look as though the work of the seventh day was actually completed on that day. And as you can imagine, rabbinical scholars have been having interpretation with this for millennia. But one of those rabbinical scholars uh, explains the awkward language like this. What did the world lack? Rest. Sabbath came, rest came. And the work was thus finished and completed. Sabbath is in itself a creative act. God blesses the day because on that day it has the ability to give us rest, to give us life. Now all that is to say, I mean, no matter how much you enjoy your work, uh, no matter how much you enjoy kind of the, the things that you do, whether that's volunteering at Friends of Refugees or whether that is coaching your kids' sports team, by the end of the week, we are depleted from the work that we do. But rest, it actually fills us up. It, it gives us clarity and confidence and, and energy and vision. Rest is life-giving. That is the blessing of the day. It has the ability to create in us restfulness. So that's the first part. God blessed the day and he made it holy. Uh, holiness is kind of a heavy word. It's kadosh in Hebrew, which is just fun to say. And throughout the Bible, it's one of those words that is most associated with God's presence. I mean, think of Moses and the burning bush. Uh, he takes off his shoes because God's presence in that place makes it holy. Heschel, whose book on Sabbath is absolutely beautiful, talks about how significant it is that the first time that holiness is mentioned in the Bible, it is mentioned not in relation to God, but in relation to a day. 
It comes in relationship to time. Throughout all kinds of uh, religious traditions, people have always associated holiness with place. Uh, whether that is, you know, the, the Kaaba in, in Mecca, whether that is Stonehenge or Om Parvat in the Himalayas, people have always drawn connections between the holy and a sense of place. The Celts had this notion, I've mentioned it before, of thin spaces, uh, parts where the veil between heaven and earth was thin and porous, where God's presence was that much closer. So we can read right over this part in Genesis, but if you were somebody from the ancient Near East, you might have expected that the Creator was going to put his stamp on the world, the the finishing touch on creation, by creating a place, by creating a, a temple, by creating a shrine or a place to worship him. The God who created heaven and earth does not need that. As the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. The whole earth is God's temple. And so this God does not choose to be found in a place, but on a day. Heschel says the Sabbath itself is a sanctuary which we build, a sanctuary in time. And that is, you know, to say for us, if you want to come into the presence of this God, you you do not need to go on a pilgrimage. You do not need to get onto a plane. You don't need to come into a building, even this building. You can meet God in time. On this day in which we are invited to slow down, to stop, to rest, to take a deep breath and simply be present. I think of it like, you know, that first spring day that's coming after all this rain that we've been getting where it's 70 degrees outside and uh, the slight, you know, gentle breeze and all you want to do is sit out in the backyard with a book and let the, the sun just kind of caress your skin, drink it all in, delight in your life, delight in your life in God, delight in creation. And lastly, Sabbath is a day to remember and to worship. Uh, Jump over with me as we finish to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're going to move forward in the story. Uh, God calls this people to himself, people of Israel. Uh, He he delivers them from bondage in Egypt, and they are now en route to the promised land. And they take a stop over on Sinai where God gives to Moses the Ten Commandments. And for the first time, God's people are actually commanded to fully embrace this gift known as the Sabbath. It starts out like this. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Jump down to verse 8. Remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Such a good word. Remember. Uh, It is easy to forget that there is a day that is not like the other days. I mean, particularly now, where every day looks like the day that was before it. It's easy to get caught up in the treadmill of things to do. Remember that 
The Sabbath is an invitation to remember that you are more than what you do. Remember to be present to God, to those around you. Remember that God has created you to delight in him. Remember, because we forget. Six days you shall do your labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Clutch phrase in there. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. And let me be clear. Part of that is what we are doing here this morning. Uh, through the liturgy, through the singing, through hearing the scriptures and thinking about how they shape our lives. But that is only ever part of worship. That is only ever a piece of it. It is not the end game. It's also taking a sunset walk and noticing how you know, the light turns golden on the trees. It's eating a revolution donut and like realizing how good it is that people have been given these gifts to take the raw materials of creation and put them into something that brings delight and joy. It's playing a board game with your kids or Legos or whatever and watching them delight in you, delighting in them. It's all these things that bring us into an appreciation of the beauty of this world that God has made. And all of these things are about orienting our hearts toward the kingdom and the goodness and the power and the beauty and the grace of our God, our King. We enter the Sabbath so that we can live out all seven days differently. So that we can, as Paul later writes in Romans, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is our true and proper worship. So that means it is a day of rest and a day to remember. Not necessarily a day to hit the punch list and to do all of the things that we had been forgetting to do throughout the week. It's not a day to do all the work that you just don't get paid for. It's a day to stop and delight in God. Command continues, On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is in your gates. Go whole another sermon on that. So if this is a new thing for you, if, if you're thinking that's, that sounds great, but how do I do this? What about the projects that I need to get done around the house? What about all of the things that are, are, are clamoring for my attention? I want to give you just a helpful framework to think about what you do, what you can do on the Sabbath. And the first thing is this. Does it bring rest? That is, is it going to bring the light to my soul? Will it bring joy? Second, does it bring me to worship? Does the thing draw me into an appreciation of and the light in God? And if the answer to those two questions is yes, then, you know, go at it. Dive deep. The answer is no. Don't sweat it. You have got six other days. And so I, I don't mean that you have to sit there and, like, you know, plow through Leviticus or whatever. But what are the things that are going to curate this moment of wonder and joy, and appreciation, and gratitude in your life. For me, uh, Sabbath is 
5 o'clock on Friday evening to 5 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, one of the things that I love on Sabbath is starting off my day with a good pour over and digging into a novel that is completely unrelated to anything that I might be thinking about. I finally just got started on Marilyn Robinson's uh, new novel, Jack. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, maybe for you, it's you know, taking a nap in the middle of the day or going on a mountain hike, uh, cuddling up by the fire, whatever it is. Uh, last week, uh, Graham really wanted to go to a museum. He loves museums. And so we went, and it was great to just go and to not have any sort of a, a schedule or any sort of a plan other than to just go and be with him in a place that he loves. What do you do that brings life to your soul? And how do you know? I mean, I have a, a conviction about this, is that, one, we don't rest well. Uh, I think we often get confused between uh, rest and relaxation. Um, relaxation does not necessarily restore the soul. Uh, it might be tempting to jump on Netflix and, and binge, but, I mean, have you ever come across somebody who's gone through like, oh, I just... I just watched the entire first season of Bridgerton and it was so good for my soul. I mean, maybe, I, I, I don't know. Um, we don't rest very well and we don't necessarily rest for very long. So what would it look like for you to plan one day a week in whatever season of life that you're in to take 24 hours to sleep and eat, and delight, and give thanks to God, and enjoy your life with him. And so the practice for this week is simply to prepare to receive this gift that God has given to us. It's at the end of session two in your study guide. And if you're thinking, man, that sounds great, but I have no idea where to start, start by simply choosing the day. And start by making the time, marking the time, and preparing. The command ends by going back to the very intent of creation. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and on the seventh day he rested. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Friends, there is a, a rhythm of grace in this world. For six days, we work for one day, we rest. And in that space of rest, we remember that life is more than just a war with the ground. That while life is hard, it is good, and there is more kindness and joy and beauty than we can possibly handle. Sabbath is a command, but it's also a gift. And I once heard someone say that more than hearing his kids say thank you for a gift that they received, it was far better to actually see them just delighting in that gift. And friends, that is how God is with us. Enjoying the gift that God has given in Sabbath is in itself an act of worship. So what would refresh your soul? When you do this with gratitude in your heart, 
letting the goodness of God wash over you. From that place, everything is an act of worship. Amen.